Welcome to another Ember Weekend. I'm Chase McCarthy. And I'm Jonathan Jackson. And we're back from Ember training all the way out in Chicago. Yeah. Chicago was great. I uh, especially like the pizza there. It's amazing. I'll keep my mouth shut on that one. Oh, why? Did you not? <laughs> what? You're going to start a holy war on, on Ember Weekend? Oh, yeah. We're going we're gonna to get, get tons of feedback on this one. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, so uh, we learned a lot at Ember Ember Training. Um, the curriculum was uh, was was interesting. The, the gearing for it was set to uh, kind of help bring people into Ember, which uh, which we've been doing Ember for a long time. And the way that it, it kind of helped with us is that every so often we'd get um, we'd get to kind of probe deeply into what the changes are for 2.0, specifically with regard to angle bracket components and routable components. And, uh, and I think this is really cool. I think we learned a lot of things. And today, basically, we just want to go through and, you know, talk about each of these things. Hopefully, pretty quickly, we got a lot to go through. So I can't dwell too much on, on any one thing. But I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. This uh, this training was really good for me. It uh, I think it filled in a lot of little, little holes that I had in my understanding. Right. You know, because sometimes you move real fast. And, uh, you know, you, you're thinking you're, you're going on to these more complicated, more complicated things. And you you skip over these little kind of nuggets that would have helped you out so much in the beginning. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I, I really liked it. And, it. and it helps firm up my mental models, too, to go through the things from uh, from that low level all the way up to the, to the advanced stuff. Uh, just knowing about, you know, more concretely why you do the things you do, you, even though you're, you're likely already doing them. It's just like, here's why. Like, the, here's the reason. Yeah, and, and a lot of a lot of history, too, like in, in a really concise you know form. We learned the history of why something is the way it is yeah that was uh, super fun yeah and if uh if you notice a change in the audio quality that's actually because we're filming uh remotely now uh john's on vacation and i'm uh you know filming in my house so yeah the show has to go on man the show must go on so yeah, we both, gotta both. we gotta record even though there's like many thousands of miles separating us yeah Good. so john's john's sitting under a blanket that that's a closet, actually in a closet somewhere that's actually true i'm i'm in a in a place that has very bad noise canceling also it's it's incredibly hot in here <laughs> so we've got we've got a hard time limit. Let's get let's get going. Uh, so okay, so just to kind of jump in, we're going to talk about some uh, high level concepts first. Uh, things that I think uh, definitely need to be known before we start uh, we start going into the more tips and tricks kind of stuff we learned. Uh, the first one is that services could be and should be thought of as opt in soft globals, uh, and that's basically because. At any point in time, since services are universally injectable, you want to treat them with great care because it would be really easy to create this like spider web of inter- integrated objects that all rely on these services to to kind of exist in weird configurations. And there's not a whole lot of way for you to control, you know, where things go and that sort of thing. Um, and and to debug specifically how to debug systems like that. Yeah, the specific case that I, I try to think of is that. Um, you want to take advantage of what Ember set up to get you a model, you know, into a route and through your components. Like if, if you are using a service as a way to like bypass the router um, and not set the model there, uh, you're probably doing something wrong. Like uh, having some global store of models that, you know, so that none of the routes ever look up models and all the components just kind of like, you know, inject this service right. and get their models out of there um, is typically you're going to run into a lot of pain. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think uh, uh, Eric mentioned very specifically that you should think of services as uh, as an escape valve. So, like, basically do what the framework tells you to do, 
um, you know, follow its opinions. But when that when you run into friction, when that's when that's not enough, then you can use services and reach for that. Um, things that services are perfect for uh, session, uh, current user stuff, authentication stuff. Um, sockets are great with services. Like I think that's actually the canonical example in most of the documentation. Uh, so it's pretty cool. And we learned a lot about uh, the upcoming writable component changes. Uh, you know, we're just going to go into probably a bunch of these changes that are coming into components, or or, or you might be noticing with components. Yeah, I think the the biggest question that I had when we were talking about routable components uh, at the training was how do we deal with uh, with the fact that uh, components require are required to be hyphenated at least at invocation, and uh, and they probably won't need to be hyphenated is kind of the the, the vibe that we were getting. Um, at least not necessarily when the router sets the components up. But there is no distinction between a routable component and a real component. So this is going to be one of those, uh, like, they are not distinct objects. So when you talk about routable components and this hyphenation change, this means that we're going to have to do something to opt into when you want to invoke, invoke them from uh, a template to make sure that they the, the ones that are invoked in a template conform to the web component standards. So there are going to be some changes coming down the line uh, that allow add-ons to namespace add-on uh, namespace components, uh, so that you don't have conflicts between the you know the dasherized names. Yeah, I think that was really cool. So like if you have a component named foo, and then an add-on has a component named foo, you can say foo at add-on name in your invocation, and that would say okay, you might have multiples, but we're going to use the one that's at add-on because you specified it manually. I think that's still in flux, though, so maybe we maybe we we shouldn't necessarily count on that because I feel like that's uh, still being discussed. So we were simulating routable components because they're not actually in 2.0 yet. Uh, I think that's still scheduled for 2.1. Um, so the way we were simulating them is basically from within the controller's template, uh, we would render a, a a component. We would create and render a new component named after the route, and and then we would just put everything in that component. So it's still being rendered through the controller's template, uh, just like normal, but it was a component that was being rendered there. And that uh, that gets you most of the way there um, because that's what the routable component structure is going to basically do, is going to just say, okay, well, given this route's name, we're going to find a component named that route name, and we're going to put it in the place where it needs to be and back it with the, with the component. And, uh, and that got us a lot of the way, and it, it definitely exposed us to a lot of the a lot of the structure, the underpinnings of what routable components are all about. So a controller has persistent state in their long-lived objects, and components are, are short-lived, so it's all about temporary state. So I think the, the interesting uh, thing here to think about when you're thinking about routable components is that overarching idea that now, rather than have a place that is uh, for persistent state, you have this temporary state, very similar to what a view would be. Um, and then the persistent state that you want, the stuff that you want to persist across transitions and things, uh, would have to live in a service. So basically, dividing the persistent state need and the temporary state need into two things, which already exist and have well-defined structures around them. There's some things that you can't quite simulate, um, like query parameters and things like that. Uh, I'm, not, I'm interested to see how they're going to uh, move that into components or where that where that's actually going to live. Yeah. I'm definitely, I'm definitely interested to see where, where it's going to go. And there's a lot of questions I still have about routable components, but I definitely like the, the idea of the, of the change. And one of the little nuggets that I got that I don't know how I missed was uh, the ability to log from templates. So you can just say something like, 
uh, mustaches log this or log model at any point and it'll just log out to the console as an object um, that you can go and you know and inspect it, uh, the properties yeah and that's just so helpful it's super helpful and uh, another cool thing is once it's logged to the to the console you can actually right click it in chrome and say set as global and a, a global temporary variable and it'll put like temp one into your into your console thing so you can you can get grab a reference to it really easily so I want to talk about the term active generation, and uh, and basically, uh, you know, I know Ember when when it sets up uh, when it sets up your templates, it creates objects regardless of whether you specify them. So, for instance, if you have a route and a foo and a template, uh, you're going to get a template foo, and it's going to be backed by a controller foo, uh, even if you don't specify the controller, you'll still have it. And uh, and I wanted to mention that that term is called active generation. Uh, and it happens not just for like the standard workflows, but it happens for a lot of objects. When whenever Ember needs an object to exist, but wants to allow you to opt in to override it, they will use active generation to uh, to to fabricate those objects for you, so that Ember will always have them, and we can kind of guarantee. Uh, and and I I didn't know that term. I knew what Ember was doing it, but I didn't know that it was called active generation. Uh, another really useful thing that I found uh, was the ability to pause a test. Um, so uh, many times I'll put a debugger in a test and I'll you know debug it. I'll be going through the uh, you know like the available variables, but I can't actually interact with the app because it's it's uh, it's in a breakpoint. Uh, but uh, Ember tests have this uh, this helper called pause test that just kind of stop the test runner. Basically, it's just what is it? I guess it's like a, it's just a promise that gets thrown into the chain. Yeah, it's a it's a promise that gets thrown into the chain that never resolves. Yeah. So it just stops your te- stops your test in the tracks, and you can go and you can interact in like the yeah. two unit window yeah. with the application, this little tiny mini application. This is super cool. Uh, so yeah, so JavaScript execution will continue, but you're you're paused. Um, the only the only limiting thing I saw about this is that in order to unpause the test, you have to just refresh. You have to do a hard refresh on the on the test pane. Yeah, and delete the line. Yeah, and then yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, I guess they could they could do something like put the attach the promise to some global so you can resolve it manually. Um, but the I think that they're assuming that any interaction you do will just break the test. So it's like why even why yeah even continue yeah exactly. Well, I mean, come on, you can navigate away and then navigate back and just come on resume test. Yeah, yeah. it'll I can be set perfect. This up. Yeah, I, test I could, things. Yeah, testing it's a real thing. Frequently, I reach for uh, the model four. Uh, method on uh, on routes in order to get uh, model uh, information from other routes. Uh, and every time I've done this, I've always uh, kind of thought that this was like a hack. But it turns out that this is this is the desired behavior for grabbing data from parent routes. Um, so I mean, I've, I've known about this and I've used this a lot, but I always thought that it, it just felt kind of strange. Uh, but, you know, going through uh, the Ember training, we, we consistently ran into this. And this is like uh, this is the way to get parent information and prevent multiple like requests for information because frequently, as you nest UI, you'll end up reaching for things that already exist rather than go and re-request them. Um, and I just like that that's the default. Uh, and you know the other way you can do this is if you don't implement a model hook in a child route, you will by default get the parent's model. Right, but we also brought up that they're doing it that way, like relying on the parent's model to be passed down is kind of brittle especially when you get deeply nested um, because if anywhere up the chain something starts returning a model um, it's now kind of breaking everything down the line yeah so you've got to have really good tests around 
you know what these what these things are returning. And I think Model Four kind of alleviates a lot of the concerns with the the Brit with regard to the brittleness. But in simple examples, the inheritance might be might be something that's uh, worth looking at. We also learned a lot of interesting things about destructuring assignments. Um, and up until now, I've basically limited myself to using them when I'm uh, you know setting a local variable. Uh, but one of the really interesting uses is as uh, parameters to a function. So if say if your function takes in an, in an array. Uh, and you know that the array is always one for some reason, so it's some weird API that always gives you an array, um, and you know you're expecting the first item, you can just you know take a parameter that's literally an array with the parameter name inside of it, uh, and that'll set a local variable. So you can basically you know pull, pull the first thing out of the array uh, in the parameter string, which is really nice. Yeah, it's super cool. And it's not just limited to, uh, to simple objects like this. Um, you can have nesting, and uh, you can also do this with objects. We saw this like a few times, and it just makes for this very pleasant experience. And then uh, it actually, I believe it protects against undefined as well. Uh, when it's transpiled to ES6, it like says if blah undefined, and then and then assigns it to a local variable, which uh, which is a pretty nice way to to just eliminate some boilerplate stuff to get local variables. I definitely I definitely like this. And you know, surprise surprise, ES6 is like got a lot of really big wins that are kind of low hanging um, that you can just start using and get a lot of a lot of mileage out of them and we've ran across the this situation before with the ember weekend site where we were using uh transition two uh and we should have been using replace with because the uh we basically were trapping the user on the site when they would navigate to it we were like yeah the index view would redirect them to the to the first episode and then if you press back it would redirect you to the index which would redirect you back to the first show Right, so this is a known issue, and uh, it was brought up in the training that um, we use transition two because it's you know simple and everybody understands it. Um, but it's brought up that the right thing in that situation was replace with, um, and then it turned out that that actually didn't fix the problem, and that transition two was actually doing the right thing. Uh, we we suspect it was because we we're on a version on Canary, uh, and there is something going on that's causing uh, replace to be set to true uh, because when you on use the transition on the transition two, two right. Right, transition two takes a parameter right. of replace, uh, and so if you set that true, it will act just like replace with. Um, and so, uh, and literally the, the source of replace with just says transition to replace true. So the you know something's happening in we we suspect in the routes implementation of transition two uh, that automatically sets it to replace in certain situations to prevent just this this thing where uh, you get these kind of because it's it, it's apparently a common thing where in perhaps people will just use. The transition to and they don't check you know the back button right uh that it's that it's kind of like trapping users or like removing and mucking with the state in the wrong way um, makes me so. think that there should be an easy way for us to, to test the history basically say like if i press the back button two times i should be on xyz route but maybe maybe some sort of like dedicated thing that's uh, part of the route unit test or something as we were working with routable components or our simulated version of routable components uh, we frequently needed the ability to transition, um, transition the the route, uh, you know, like do some action and then go to you know go back to the index view or something like that. Uh, and and when you're in a component, you actually don't have that. So what you could do is you could send an action up to the controller and let that bubble up um, like you would normally expect, and then handle the, the transition to in the controller. Um, but there is a, a new thing that is <laughs> not quite ready, but soon to be ready, uh, called uh, 
dash routing or yeah dash routing uh, as a service. So you could say Ember inject service dash routing, and then you can say you know in wherever you want to transition, you could say this dot git routing and uh, transition away. Um, and this is super cool, um, but you know again with services all with all services you know take care when using it. Uh, making the routing available as a service means that it's injectable like anywhere. So even from technically even from other services. So it could be easy to abuse this, but uh, definitely very helpful in the use case where you're dealing with a component that uh, is doing a very specific thing. Yeah, and um, one of the cases I found where I needed to know about this uh, service existing was in unit testing a component. Um, because when the component's being unit tested, the rest of the kind of Ember environment's not set up. And if that component has a template um, with a link to in it, that link to can't generate uh, its URL without having this service. So if you're testing a component that's creating links, uh, your test will fail if you don't uh, properly mock this service. But there, there's a discussion on, a, on uh, fixing this. Uh, we'll put something in the show notes uh, where this issue came up um, and uh, they're talking about how they're going to fix this, um, like having some kind of uh, routing service for specifically for tests. Everyone's familiar with the term hoisting in reference to JavaScript. Uh, but when you're talking about uh, data uh, in an Ember system, uh, it's it's kind of you it, it's doing double duty sometimes so uh, frequently when two siblings need data need a common data source um, we've already established that you can use model 4 so if you push the data up the route um, that is described as hoisting uh, in the emberland so you can push the data up one route and request it say you have a uh, I think we were doing like inboxes with uh, there's an inbox and a and a compose, and both of those are sibling routes, but they they both require some information. Well, you can pull those rather than have them in, live in individual in each individual route. You can pull that data back up and hoist it into its parent route, and then use model four to grab it. This is one of those cases where um, your first instinct might be now to use a service, but that might be overkill for the situation when you could just hoist it up one level and 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 keep the data closer to what needs it. So I've developed a few add-ons. Uh, and my current uh, system for developing them is, is probably like everyone else's. You uh, you make a um, a link to the add-on that's your current or your local version of your add-on, uh, and then you you npm install it and link it uh, in the uh, app you're trying to you know test it in. And when you set this npm link up, you can basically open you know uh, both projects in you know two different panes uh, and be editing the file in one and, and refreshing and seeing the changes in the other. Uh, but the one thing that's missing is that when you change a file in the add-on, EmberServe doesn't properly listen to the changes uh, and update the page for you. So it's like you kind of kind of ends up breaking your Ember workflow of like I should change the file, save it, and it should just reload for me. Well, there's actually a uh, there's actually a boolean flag you can set uh, in the index.js of the add-on, um, and then you have, you'll have to restart your server once for this. Uh, but once it, uh, Ember sees this, it will actually watch the directory of uh, the node modules. For that add-on, uh, for changes, so that when you make changes to your add-on, it just automatically refreshes your app. Uh, so this is really helpful. Yeah, that's super cool. I also, I'm, I'm not 100% on this, but I think Ember Observer is using this flag to denote whether or not it should be listed as a WHIP, as its score. Ah, yeah. So pretty cool. And that's pretty much all uh, we want to talk about uh, this week for uh, Chicago training. I'm sure we're going to come up with more little tidbits that we learned. Uh, we have many more notes. Uh, we're going to do that in the future. Uh, but for now, I want to uh, to mention two quick things uh, that that kind of were brought to our attention, and uh, we want uh, all of our listeners to go and take a look at it. 
the first one is uh, actually Chase. Do you want to talk about this? This is a this is a broccoli API thing. I feel like you uh, you're the expert. You got that broccoli post. <laughs> yeah, Joe Liss mentioned something on Twitter the other day about how uh, she's uh, kind of revamping the API uh, for broccoli, and she's you know wanting input on what what people want uh, out of the API, what's missing for them, or what new features they want. Uh, and there there have been a couple of things brought up already. Uh, things that she's brought up or that things that Stefan Pinner mentioned mentioned mostly around debugging. So like something like printing printing trees. That's something that everybody knows is kind of a pain. Um, uh, so so logging, uh, performance issues, uh, you know, and then and then it goes back to features, things like uh, uh, she mentions uh, bringing uh, the cleanup hook back. Um, so so take a look at it. Um, it's you know kind of still uh, open for suggestion. And Broccoli's got a fairly small API. So if you don't know anything about Broccoli, um, you can still just you know go look at it. There's plenty of resources out there. You if you know that there are problems that you're running into with Broccoli, uh, now's the time to get them fixed. Very cool. Very cool. And then the uh, the last thing that we want you guys to look at and be aware of is that there was this memory leak uh, in Glimmer. Uh, it's been fixed, but it's something that uh, just I think you could go and look at the the uh, the PR uh, we're gonna we're gonna link to, uh, and it's uh, it's basically around cleaning uh, handling uh, node cleanup and uh, and how efficient and making it much more efficient, and it actually prevented a, a memory leak. Uh, and I believe uh, Ray Tiley found it, and then Tom Dale wrote up PR to, to fix it, I believe. Uh, and and it's definitely something you should be aware of. Uh, we were looking at it, and I, I, I like the PR. You know, anytime I get a PR in there and I see uh, Tom Dale wrote it, I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be pretty in-depth and pretty fun to yeah. read. Like, let me get some popcorn. Yeah, exactly. So it's a, it's a pretty good read, and it's definitely some great information kind of helping to understand Glimmer. If you're, if you're looking at doing that, this is a, this is a pretty good place to start. And then the last thing that uh, that we have in our notes, and and I think this is the biggest thing uh, that we learned at Chicago training, just to recap, uh, is is a quote uh, Eric Brin said when he was discussing liquid fire, and is basically saying, "With great power comes great responsibility to not do ridiculous shit." And <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know this this was so true in so many places. The power that we're being given in Ember with services and with things like liquid fire and and all this stuff all the time you really have to focus on you know using that power in in intelligent ways and trying not to do ridiculous shit so uh i just i love that quote and uh it's, it's super awesome so why i wanted to throw that out there and that's all for this ember weekend i'm chase mccarthy and i'm jonathan jackson and we'll talk to you next weekend Thank you.